You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. My name is Alyssa Guillen. I've been going to Free City for about three and a half years, and I'm also part of the Spurly Bebout City Group. I've been going there for about one and a half years, and if you're not in a city group, I highly encourage you to join one. It is seriously like the thing I look forward to most in my week. It is awesome. You should join one. Um, I also serve in kids and in communion here, and so so if you see me hanging around with a bunch of, like, small people or giving you bread, it's probably me. I'm doing that a lot of the time. (laughs) Um, Alrighty, so our uh, passage for today is going to be from Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. It's going to be on page 943 in the Bibles that are under your seats. Alrighty, so Hebrews 5, 1 through 10 says... For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal greatly with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed to him by who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for the people in this room, God. I thank you for our pastors. I thank you for the people who serve our church. I thank you for the people who attend this church. Uh, God, that you have just made this such a holy place for us to be able to gather together in community and lift up your word. And so, God, I lift up this scripture to you. I lift up um, whoever is preaching today's service, God, that you would just give them wisdom to understand this, that we would take this scripture home with us, that we would be curious, God, Um, that we would not be complacent in what we were hearing, God, that we would carry this scripture with us through the rest of the week. And I just pray for holiness over this scripture. God, I also pray for Central. I thank you that the people of Central have allowed us to gather in their building. That is just so gracious of them, God. And so I thank you. I lift them up to you. And I pray for peace for all the administrators, the teachers, the students, parents, God, everyone that plays a role in this school. I just pray for peace for their week. I thank you for their generosity to be able to let us gather here. And I just pray that the holiness of this space would continue to linger um, as kids flow in and out of this building um, during their school days. God, I just thank you for today. I pray that we have an awesome rest of our day, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Casey, I'm one of uh, the pastors here. And uh, man, we're so glad uh, you're here. I hope your Thanksgiving uh, was good. Um, I hope that, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm like falling apart here. Um, I'm just glad you're here. Uh, let's get started. Uh, in Hebrews 5, when we look at this, uh, I love what was said in the prayer uh, that we would be curious. 
And, and so looking at that, we want to be curious about what this is actually trying to say about Jesus. Like, what is the writer of Hebrews, when he's looking at the Hebrew people, uh, so the first century Jews, and he's trying to convey to them all that Jesus is, he comes to a really central theme that is all throughout Hebrews, the idea of the high priest. And we, we don't, you know, in our culture, like that would have been very understandable for them, the idea of needing a priest to go before us to represent our plight, our situation before a holy God, needing someone to stand in between us and God. And so if you just look at the, the flow of what's happening is the writer of Hebrews is going to say, hey, we've always leaned on a high priest and they were always called out from among us by God and they were pretty good. And then it goes real specific to say, not just any good high priest, but we can even talk about Aaron. Like he's like maybe what you would say, the greatest high priest. But then the news gets really bad because it says this, the high priest who went before us to represent us before God, who was pretty good, wasn't good enough. And and so like, if we wanted to understand the high priest, maybe another way, we would say it like this, like he's a mediator, someone who comes between, you know, uh, uh, relationships that have conflict to hold them together, to find an agreement that there can be a relationship again. He's someone that represents, he has an understanding of what both parties need, and he comes to the middle to bring to the table to say, let's find a way forward, let's be reconnected to one another. You know, my, my kids have actually learned this at a really, really young age, that uh, they are wise when they want something in whom they sinned. And so I don't know if they just came by this naturally or if they had like little kid gang meetings where they came together and said, who's gotten in trouble the least today? Let's send them to ask. But without a doubt, uh, without fail, they always send Anna, baby, sunshine, when they want something, like we are doing uh, the, the dishes, they send the youngest. She's just cute, and she's little, and she's hoppy, you know? She kind of just hops in, and she comes, and she just smiles, and she has this way where she kind of goes smiling. She kind of goes bashful over here, and then she asks, and so we're doing dishes, and she comes in, and she says, can we watch a movie or a show? I mean, she already, she's not a very good, you know, uh, you know, arguer or whatever, because she, she shows the next one, can we watch a movie or a show? I mean, she just wants in. You know, we had to convince her at one point what her middle name was, because we were like, no, no, Anna Kathleen. She's like, that's not my middle name. And we're like, what do you think your middle name is? And she said, baby, Anna baby. And we're like, no, it's not. I mean, one day we could change that, I guess, legally. But I mean, so they send someone, they look among themselves And they say, to represent our cause or our plight, to represent our need, to give us the best case, who will go and represent us? Hebrews 5, and then it picks it up again in Hebrews 7. It talks about the office of the high priest. We need someone to represent us. Someone to represent us. 
And, and so the book of Hebrews, it's here to say the incarnate son of God entered in to be our once and for all perfect high priest to perfectly represent our needs and our deficits before a holy God and to fill them in, to stand before us. And so being fully God, he can understand God and hang on to God. But entering into flesh and being fully human, however that works, he can now hang on to both you in your deficit and to God, providing a way that we might be reconnected through God. And that's why we even pray, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so here we've got just uh, two points. Good priest, God priest. And I know it sounds like Dr. Seuss, you know, one fish, two fish, blue, red fish, blue fish. I should have read more when I was younger, but um, good priest, God priest. And so good priest, we're going to see the constant shortcomings of our good priest, or we could even say our best priest that could come from us. We're going to look at verses one through four. And then the back half, verses five through 10, cut perfectly down the middle. It switches the argument. It says, where the shortcomings of our best priests always failed because they were just like us. They could understand us and they could relate to us, but they always failed. Where they failed, Jesus succeeded as our God incarnate, great high priest who stands forever, who gave a once for all sacrifice to unite us back to God, not by your might or your works, but by what God has done on your behalf through the person of Jesus Christ. Good priest, God priest. So number one, good high priest. And it's gonna say this, the constant shortcomings of our good high priest were consistent and he was never enough to represent our needs. The best we could produce from among us, they were never nearly good enough. And so, you know, when we don't really fully kind of grasp the idea of a high priest because it's not normal to us, Maybe a better way for us to understand this would be this. Even the best version of you is not nearly good enough. And we feel that. I mean, we feel that inside. So we look within and we try to find our best selves. But this is saying it's not good enough. Or, or we look outside of ourselves and we try to find some steps to make us better. And it doesn't matter how many steps we take, there's still a deficit within us. It's not good enough. Or we think with enough distractions of other people's failings, we can hide our shortcomings. And there's not enough distractions. Verses 1 through 4. It gives us a picture of our best efforts. And then it says, not good enough. And so there's three things that this says, you know, something about the high priest. It says they're drawn from among us. It says they can understand us. And then it's going to say they were called by God to represent us. And then what we're going to see when we look at Jesus, we're going to see the same three things, but a calling by God that was fully fulfilled. And so first, among us, a good priest is from among us to stand for us. Look at verse one. It says, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
And so I want to work this verse backwards. And so the first thing we start with that we see is sins right there at the end. And then we back up before that and we see these words, you know, someone chose or someone to act behalf of men, to offer gifts and sacrifices. And then the very first part of it is chosen from among us. And so the first at the end, it says, our problem of sin In verse 1, it ends with the word sins, as in plural. And it's talking about this problem of a deficit that we have. And the specific word for sins, it really just means to miss the mark. There's lots of different words the Bible uses for sin. But this is just saying, like, it's just not quite enough. The actual word is armatia, and it means to miss the bullseye, just to be a little bit off. But it comes up with the idea of coming up short or being insufficient, or having a deficit. And so this is saying there is something inside of us that is just not enough. That no matter of how you change the outer appearance or the self-talk for the inner heart, there's something about us that comes up short. And that problem is described as sin and it has to be dealt with. And in our culture, we don't like to think of the deepest problem inside of us as sin. We like to think the deepest problem of us is maybe the sufferings that we've had or, or maybe you know the, the, the place that which we came from or the lack of resources and knowledge that we have and therefore that we can fix it. But this says, those are problems. Like, don't hear me wrong. Those are problems. But beneath all of that, beneath all of that shaky foundation lies what the Bible says is a deficit. And so it ends, verse one, with sins. But then the phrase right before that, we see gifts and sacrifices that need to be made to God by someone on our behalf. Like, look at those words. Gifts, sacrifices need to be made to God by someone on our behalf. Like, this is actually talking about atonement. You see, something, because of that deficit, because it exists, and because something has to be done about it, someone has to come in between to make an atonement, to add to it, to make it adequate. And so it's the doctrine of atonement. But then it comes to the very beginning of verse 1, and at the beginning of the verse, we have the understood solution, a good high priest. For every high priest is chosen from among men. And so it means that from among us, one is set apart, is set up to go stand between us and God to try to fill in the deficit through whatever gifts or whatever sacrifices can be done. One stands out to say, I'm going to represent our need and our plight. One agrees with everyone else that says there is a shortcoming, there is a need, and steps out. And so the first thing that we see is someone from among us to stand for us. And so it's say every good high priest was from among us and would step aside to stand in between God and in between our need to try to draw them together. And then it says every good high priest has an understanding. So, so look at that in verse 2. In verse 2, it's going to say, a good priest understands our needs. And then it tells us how he understands our needs because he shares our needs. Like he has insider information. 
And so verse two, it says, he can deal gently with us. And so when it says gently, it means like he can look and see the deficiency and show restraint, like not come really hard, not shame us and say, man, what is wrong with you? You know, he doesn't stand and be like, man, why are you guys being a bunch of weenies and a bunch of crybabies? Just do better. He doesn't like parent, kind of like I parent with phrases like this, like maybe you should just try harder. Or have you tried being tough? You might like the way it feels. Or sometimes I say two scoops of suck it up might work. Like this actually says I'm a terrible parent. It's someone who can understand because they share. They can deal gently because they understand. And they understand they can deal gently and it gives us two forms of sin. And it's just trying to build a case to help us understand. And so look at those words in verse two. It says ignorant and it says wayward. And so verse two, we put it together. He says, he can deal gently with the ignorant. Now that means exactly what you think it means. It means when you sin, but you didn't know it was sin, you were just kind of being dumb and you didn't know it. You know, this is like, this is kids, Like sometimes kids are rebellious. Sometimes they don't know how to act in a situation. They don't know what's appropriate. Like when we come to church, we tell Cruz, he'll come down in like holy sweats. And we're like, hey, you you can't wear those. You need to go put your jeans on. He's like, why do I have to wear something so fancy? And we're like, they're jeans. They're not fancy. Sometimes sin is I just don't know. It's accidental. You know, you exist like that when you're a little kid, but you exist like that again when you first get married. Like there's all a new level of things you just didn't know that was so hurtful or inappropriate in timing. When we were first married, uh, I woke up and Kinsey had run to the bathroom. She had gotten sick and she was like like dry heaving, like throwing up. And she uh, got done and she came back to to the bed and uh, I said, hey, next time, could you puke a little bit more quietly? And so hold on, like this was my thought. Like I, my thought was, oh, I'm gonna try to lighten the mood, lighten the moment. And it was ignorant. I didn't mean to sin. I just was dumb and sinned. And so the first thing is a good priest understands what it means to just mess up to not know. But it goes on in verse two. It says, he can deal gently, show restraint, understand with the ignorant and also the wayward. The wayward is the second category and the word is planeo and it's used 39 times in the New Testament and it describes when you know what you're supposed to do but you have motives, so you do something different. It it, it describes a deception, whether it's a self-deception or trying to deceive others, where you've already decided the end that you want, but maybe you try to manipulate the way it looks like, so it looks like you happenstance to get there. It's describing looking at the two forks in the road, I guess one fork, two paths in the road, and saying, I know this is what God would want for me. I know this is the just and the right thing, but it looks uncomfortable, and it looks hard, and I'd rather do this. And so all 
all of a sudden it's throwing these two things together. It used sins in plural to describe all the ways that we miss the mark, all the ways that we have a deficit. And it says we need someone who can go before us and we could pull the best from among us. And they might be able to deal gently with us because they understand what it's like to do the wrong thing because you were just kind of silly. You weren't thinking about it. It was a mistake. And they understand to know what the right thing is to do and to not care. They can understand. See, sometimes we're mistaken sinners, and the appropriate thing would be like, bless your heart. But sometimes we're deceitful, scheming sinners. And the appropriate message would be shame on you. But a priest would all say, but I get it. See, the, the point is that someone in this system was chosen from among us, and they could relate to us, and they could say with sincerity, if I understand, I've been in situations like that. I've known the right thing to do, but it didn't feel right. I didn't want to do it. I've known what it's like, the feeling you have inside of your soul when you tell the lie to cover up, to get what you want, when you willingly deceive someone and you feel the pain of I know it's wrong but you feel justified with A, B, and C and all the reasons why it's okay for you but you know it's not okay for you because when it's been done to you you know it wasn't right. See the mediator that we had the best that we could come up with they were from among us might even have been the best from among us. And they could be sympathetic because they got it. But then it goes on and describes sin a little bit more deeply, not just like, you know, unwittingly sinning, not just like deceiving one another and doing it on purpose. But then it says in verse two, since he himself is beset with weakness, beset with weakness. Doesn't that sound kind of medieval and dark? Beset with thou weakness. I mean, that word beset, it actually kind of means like to be surrounded or encompassed by. And what you see is weakness. It could also mean sick and disease. And so some translations, they'll say this clothed with disease or, or clothed with weakness or clothed with unfirmness. And so it talks about being fully surrounded by. And so it could say this, clothed in weakness of sin. He is burdened by the sickness of sin. Or he is determined by the disease of sin. Like think about those phrases, clothed in the weakness of sin. I mean, does your daily struggle against sin ever feel like an uncomfortable suit that is just itchy? And no matter what relationship you get in or what circumstance you get in, it's hard to sit still because it's just so uncomfortable. Or, or we could say it like this, burdened by the sickness of sin. Does your daily struggle against sin ever feel like a heavy, limiting and always presence sickness. Like what others do, it looks effortlessly, like for them to do the right thing, but for you, it's like you just can't inhale enough air to get the strength to do it, and when you try, you just wheeze and you crumple. Or determined 
by the disease of sin. Does sin ever feel like a congenital disease that which you were born with? Like, have you ever felt like this must be a syndrome that's specific to me or condition that's specific to me? Like, no matter how hard I try, the outcomes sometimes just feel predetermined. Like at best, I might fall into something ignorantly, but most common, it's more wayward and chosen. Is it beset with weakness? And, and so the, 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 the whole pro, pro, problem here is there's a deficit with inside of us and we need someone to go represent us to help explain and fill the deficit to appeal to the better nature, to ask for help. We need a mediator, someone who we can trust. When I was in the fifth grade, I, I got a girlfriend. I did it, y'all. I got one. And before, her name was Jessica. She was like a foot and a half taller than me. Um, and before, we were friends and we could talk, but then when she was my girlfriend, that was just awkward, so I had to ignore her the whole time. And so it turns out that's not great relationship advice. Like, turns out I had a girlfriend for like a, a week and a half, and then I never talked to her, and so she broke up with me. But she didn't break up with me herself. She sent an intermediate. Her name was Juanita. And Juanita was actually a pretty good intermediate. She was kind of a tomboy. She played with us a lot and we knew her and we liked her. And so she came to my side of the playground because as soon as I started dating Jessica, I couldn't play on the other side of the playground. That was just too awkward. So she came to my side of the playground to tell me, you no longer have a girlfriend. And a part of me was like, oh, thank God I could talk to her again, you know? But a part of it brought rejection What's wrong with me? Am I too short? I mean, what's wrong with me? I'll grow one day in college. I'll grow. And so the intermediate comes and it's honest about the problem. It points toward the solution. And the question is, is the intermediate good enough to hold those two together? And so verse 3 it builds on this and then into verse four. So because of this, because of ignorant sin, because of premeditated and purposeful sin, because of being completely beset with sin, he, our high priest, our in-between, our mediator, is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those people. So even a good high priest is limited and is not good enough. They can understand us. They can be sympathetic to our situation. But our intermediate needs an intermediate. The person who went in between needs someone to go in between for them. They can't reach far enough because they have the same limiting gaze of sin. They're also beset with weakness. But, but even in this situation, verse 4, it just says, they were called out by God. Like they were called. And so a good priest was also called by God. Verse four, it says, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when God called, only when called by God, just as Aaron was. 
And so just to see what it's doing is the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, there's been good high priests, but then he gets real specific and he talks about Aaron, which in the first century mind would be like, man, that's the ultimate high priest. And so they go from like, hey, good high priest to the best high priest, but we have Aaron and A.A. wrong, done messed up. He wasn't good enough. And so the first century would have heard that and they would have been familiar with the sacrificial system and they would have been familiar with the temple and they would have said even Aaron was beset with sin and he needed sacrifices for his sin to then make sacrifices for our sin and it had to happen every year. Every year there were festivals that pointed at different markers of God and they all pointed to a lack within us because there were sins in Armatia, a lacking, a deficit inside of our souls. And we may not relate to the idea of a good Priest, but we can relate to this. Whatever deficit you see as your main problem, if you fixed that, you no longer struggled there, it wouldn't be enough. If God called to you on your best day, if God called to you on a day you were unconscious, it wouldn't be enough. Even our best our good isn't good enough. So Jesus, we're stepping into Christmas, and I've been listening to Christmas music for about three weeks already. I've just been doing it in hiding um, because it's, it's wrong. I mean, I know it's wrong. It's not ignorant sin. It is wayward. I'm choosing it, and I don't care. Uh, but I just, I've been listening to Christmas music in the office, and I love it. The whole point of Christmas is God entered in, our God high priest. The best we could offer was a high priest who had to offer sacrifices for himself over and over and over because the best we could offer was someone who was beset with sin, both like, you know, incompetent, ignorant sin, I just messed up, and also deliberate sin of something is inside of me that just wants more and more and more. And so God offered us Jesus, the God high priest, as a sacrifice for us. Verses five through 10, it gives us a counter argument and it touches all these things kind of from reverse order. And so the first thing in verse one, it's gonna say Jesus came from among us. And it's not saying that he was just normal. It, it's affirming all of the virgin birth, all of the incarnation, but it's saying he lived among us. And so in verse one, it's gonna say he came from among us. In, in verse two and three, it's gonna say he also suffered so he can relate just like the good high priest he can relate, but he was without sin. And then it's going to say, but he was called by God. And then it's going to say several things about that. Called by God, and it's going to say to be a high priest and in between force. And then it's going to say even better than that, called by God to be a son who can take our need and request to God in the exact moment of our need when we need it. And then in kind of a convoluted cloak and dagger way, he's going to say he's also our king. And so let's look at this. I know you're excited, me too. And so first, called. It says, Jesus was called to be a high priest to make intercession for us, but he's even more than the perfect high priest. He was a son and a king. 
And so the first thing, like we see, he was called to be the perfect high priest. Verse five, it says, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed. And so he's just working the argument from backwards to say, God set up this system and now God is fulfilling the system. And so at the moment that he started his ministry, at the moment that he was baptized and the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him and rested upon him and God spoke, this is my son. That was the inauguration, his calling. This is the new son to stand before us, to be our in-between, to represent us, to be the ultimate high priest. You know, Philippians 2 describes this where it says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, this is saying that Jesus was called and he entered in. And it goes on like, it's this, that Jesus entered in as a high priest, but then it's gonna go on to say Jesus is the perfect son who can plead our case in the exact moment that we need him to. Verse five, it goes on, it says this, but he appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so the writer of Hebrews is like, he's not just a high priest, he's also God's son. And it's painting this picture like, it would be weird if I just showed up at your house in the middle of the night to like deliver a message. Like you would say, could you not text me? But it's not weird for a son to come down in the middle of the night to say, I have need. Or even for a son to come in the middle of the night to say, my friend has need. Will you help him? Like there's open access. This is even better. The perfect son. So Jesus, the perfect priest. Jesus, the perfect son. But then it goes on. Jesus, our king. In verse six, it says, as he says in another place, and he's quoting Psalms 2 and Psalms 110. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is a significant argument in Hebrews. It picks it back up in Hebrews 7. But the main idea of looking at Melchizedek, and so if you're familiar with the story, in Genesis 14, Abraham had just raided these people and he was coming back and he came to the priest and king of Salem, Melchizedek, and he gave him sacrifices and so the whole point is this like mysterious thing. And so Salem was Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem. And so the king and priest, two offices that don't go together, that were actually forbidden to go together in the Old Testament, came together in this one person. There's no mention of any kings or priests before him and no mention of any who came after. And so it's this like representative figure, a true figure, but a representative figure of this king and priest that has no lineage before or no lineage to follow, but just stands on its own place because it was pointed by God. And so it says Jesus can make an appeal for us like the perfect priest. Jesus can make an appeal for us at any time like the perfect son, or Jesus can make the decision himself like the perfect king. This is saying, wow, look at how he was called. And then we see this, and this is quick. We see among. 
So just following the argument backwards, we saw called, and then we see among, and then we see understand. And so it says, Jesus, like a good priest, came to be among us. Verse 7, it says, in the days of his flesh. And this is not just meaning the incarnation, like what we read in Philippians 2. This is saying all the days of his flesh. Like he lived among us. He lived in the same circumstances. He was cold at times. He was hot. He was exhausted. He had doubt. He had his feelings hurt. Whatever could happen in the days of your life, these type of things Jesus lived among. And he did so so he can perfectly understand. In verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. It says both prayers and supplications because it's drawing our attention to, that, to the fact that Jesus felt need and uncertainty. He relied on prayer. He understands. He felt need and dependence. He had uncertainty and anxiety. He battled through want to try to find contentment. Jesus understands what it's like to look at the present or to look into the future and just to pray to make supplications. But it describes those. Verse seven, it goes, with loud cries and tears. He lived among us making prayers, sometimes in desperation with passion, sometimes crying through, trying to feel like, how is this gonna work out? He lived among us. Jesus understands. And it goes on in seven to say, to him who is able to save him from death. See, Jesus just didn't live in the days of his flesh. He also lived in the moments of his death. And we actually get two, two pictures of this, where it says, and he was heard because of his reverence. We get two pictures of this in the garden when he prayed three times, Father, take this cup, take this cup, take this cup. With prayers and anxiety, he looked at an uncertain future and he says, there's got to be another way. He understands. He understands uncertainty. He didn't have to understand any of these things, but Philippians 2 says he subjected himself. Christmas reminds us that he left the comforts of heaven to enter into the coldness of this world. Philippians 2 and Christmas want us to understand that he left the all-powerful position that held everything together to be dependent upon a mom to hold him. He understands. In the garden, he was frazzled and he prayed with cries and tears and he heard nothing. And then on the cross, he cried out, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to pray. See, he knows what it's like to pray and to actually hear nothing so we can only know what it's like to pray and to seemingly hear nothing. He understands. Verse eight, and although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
And so while a good high priest described, is described as clothed in weakness, burdened in weakness, or determined by weakness, Jesus is described as learning obedience through suffering. Like th- This doesn't mean he went from disobedience to obedience. This doesn't mean that he went from imperfect to finally achieving perfection. What this means is that he can fully understand because he subjected himself to the struggle of being obedient. Like He can fully understand what it's like to lack and to find contentment. He can fully understand what it's like to give your all and to be rejected. He can fully understand what it's like to come up short. But he's not just any high priest who is plagued and beset with that weakness. He is the God high priest who understands but is found without sin. And so then it says in verse nine, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And then we throw another bone to the order of Melchizedek and being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The great son, the great high priest, the great king who has no beginning or no end now stands and it says to become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Right there, like one, two things. It limits. It it, it limits. Like what's going to make you right before God is not what we always think. Like we think if I could just fix this in me, if I wouldn't do this or that, if I wouldn't act that way or fail like that, if I could just fix this one thing and be a better version of me, then I'll be okay. This says that's not a source of salvation. This says whatever you think your problem is that's going to like get you there is not the source of salvation. There's one source of salvation and his name is Jesus, the perfect high priest who entered in to take up our plight, to see our deficit, to be honest about it, and to make a sacrifice to fill that deficit, to now hold on to us and to hold on to God. One source. But then it says something that's even harder. It says for those who obey him, Like, didn't we just talk about ignorant sin? Like, I don't even know I'm doing it. I just did it. Or or the, the draw of wayward sin. Like, I know I'm doing it. I just don't care until afterwards, and then I feel bad about it. But then I do it again. Or beset by sin, feeling predetermined by sin, feeling like it's a disease that I carry so I couldn't possibly perform like others that I see. Like, didn't we just talk about all of that? That's us. Listen to what the scriptures say about what it means to obey God. In 1 John 3, 23, listen to this. And this is his commandment. This is God's commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us to do. The obedience that saves us is to look at Jesus and to say, he's the only means of salvation that I need. 
He's the only high priest that I need. He's the only in-between that I need. He's all that I need because he's the perfect son and he's the perfect king. And he entered in to become fully man while maintaining fully God. And now he hangs on to us through our deficit because he filled it in with his atoning work upon the cross. And he hangs on to God because he did so without sin. And he becomes the bridge of salvation, the only means to be made right before God. And what does that mean? Look at me. It means you can rest. It means you don't have to produce to make God happy. It means that you can expect, like jump back at verse two. In verse two, it's talking about our best high priest where it says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself was beset with weakness. We don't have an equivalent phrase, but like making an application to that is to say, Jesus will deal gently with both your ignorant sin and your wayward sin because he entered in and the sacrifice that he made once and for all is enough. You see, we can have confidence because Jesus took the steps that we needed to enter in and Jesus took the steps that we needed to walk to the cross. And we take steps every week to remind us of what is really true. Only the cross can fix you. Only Jesus can save you. Every week we step forward in communion to remind us as we walk toward one thing, that the path that was made for us to be reconnected with God was made through his broken body and his spilt blood. Every week we do something physical just to remind us that God physically entered in to be the perfect in-between, to hold us back together, to bring us back to God. And it says this, that he became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe, for all who obey his commandment, to believe in the one, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, Lord, as we think through just our week, Lord, it is appropriate that the scriptures lead us to take an account before we take communion, the first account would be this. Am I trusting in Jesus? If you're with us and you're just kicking the tires on Jesus and you don't know what to think about him, we ask you to respect this and just stay seated. You won't be signaled out. No one's gonna notice because it's chaotic when we come to take communion anyways. But it's also a time for all believers to be introspective, to think, man, is this week, was it plagued by ignorant sin or was it plagued by wayward sin? Would I be willing to label that? Would I be willing to grab someone next to me and say, pray with me? The, the two directions of, of communion is you can come forward and a piece will be torn away from the loaf and then dipped into the wine and handed to you. We also have an option in the back that are individual servings and it has a gluten-free option and grape juice. Both of those options require a step. And your step would never be enough to make it all the way, but it's enough because Jesus entered in. Father Lord, we need you 
and we need you in ways that we don't know. And Lord, that phrase, beset with weakness, Lord, I pray that it would drive deeper in us. But as we see you touch the very bottom of that weakness, we find strength. And so, Father, if there's an area of our life that we are striving and striving and striving, you're not asking us to not apply effort. You're asking us to not approach it in such a way that that is the one thing that would make us acceptable. You're asking us to behold the high priest of God, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the king, Jesus. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.